1: You're listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Welcome. I'm Matt Prey. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into our Wednesday mailbag, and yes, we're back on schedule. Wednesdays are always our mailbag podcasts. We answer your best questions that you sent us throughout the week. And before we dive into that, I want to remind people out there who are not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, why not do so now for $9.95 a month. You can get inside content. You can read a- Stories across the entire 24-7 Sports Network, not just ours at DuckTerritory.com, but USC. You can get Washington. You can get Florida State. You you can get Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, anybody out there with our membership. You also get message board community, which is a really good aspect of that. You get uh, limited ads on the site as well, which is always a plus. And on top of that, you also get for free as a bonus the CBS All Access Membership. 10,000 shows, live sports, movies, all of that on demand, live as well, commercial-free even. So jump on, get on with DuckTerritory.com. You get that with your membership for free. Now, one other item also, if you do follow us on this podcast, please consider liking us on, on iTunes and recommending us and giving us a review as well. Now, Eric, let's get into this show and you've got eight questions, we've got some answers, and I think a lot of them are going to be based around football and the idea that Oregon has now lost a position coach for another season, and Dante Williams, who has left to go to USC.
0: Yeah, the entire first half of the show will be Dante Williams-related questions, and it makes sense. Uh, we're putting the show together. Um, on Monday, before the news broke, and we had a lot of questions about other things, and then the news breaks Monday afternoon, and I think he officially uh, released a statement Monday evening, and suddenly all the questions are about this, and it makes sense because this is a, a really significant uh, departure for an organ assistant coach. So let's jump into that right off the bat here. First question from MVH Genetics. At this point, is losing coaches and players to other schools just a byproduct of being a big boy program or is it a negative sign and a problem Oregon needs to solve um i mean the reality is coaches move around a lot and if you've looked at Dante Williams track record you uh, just on its own uh, that's been kind of the story of how he's operated as well he, he hasn't spent more than two or three years really at any school and so that kind of this makes sense heading back to southern california um where he's from where he has such great connections Makes a ton of sense, I think, and, uh, you know, if you just look at it from an individual perspective, you know, I, I, I think that you can kind of relate to maybe some of the decisions behind what, what he did. Um, I, I, if we're looking at it from a larger perspective, though, I don't really see this as being, like, some sort of trend. Um, I know Oregon has lost a couple of coaches over the last couple of years. You know, Court Dennison uh, took off, obviously. Um, it, you know, but there aren't that many that, that jumped to, to mind here that, that left on their own accord that weren't kind of dismissed, if you will. Um, Matt, do you see this as a negative sign? I don't, I don't really see this is becoming a trend. I know no, this one hurts, no. this one hurts, but this one, I don't think it's like a, some sort of big thing they need to solve. No,
1: it's not a, it,
0: it's,
1: it, it's not a sign that the organ program is getting weaker or it, from it in terms of perception, like, right. Like obviously, it hurts. Dante Williams was the seventh best recruiter in the country, and a guy that helped sign a plethora of players the last two and a half seasons that he was here. So it, it's a big loss in that regard. And he did good work with Oregon's cornerbacks for sure, and developing Thomas Graham, DeAndre Lenore, also bringing in a guy like Michael Wright and developing him as well. And 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 down the list it goes. Um, but this isn't a sign that. The sink is, the, the ship is sinking at Oregon. Not, not even close. The reality is this. Oregon is becoming a big boy program again. They have success. When you win big games, when you win a conference championship, when you win a Rose Bowl, other schools want what you have. They want a piece of your action. And they are going to, more often than not, have to overpay to get, to get part of what you have. And we've heard, it's been reported from our USC site as well, that USC paid a substantial amount of money to get Dante Williams away from Oregon. And he's also from LA. That is his home. And, you know, he's, he cited some family stuff that's also important for him. Right. And you look at this and this is the nature of the beast now. The the days where an entire staff stays stays intact for a decade, those are gone. Those are incredibly rare. And instead, Coaches move around. That's how it is. And there's more money in sports than there ever has been in college athletics. And a, a big byproduct of that is spending it on the coaches.
0: Yeah. I, I think we're on the same page on this one. And, and certainly you're, when you saw this news come across, you know, timelines, you know, yesterday. And I think there have been quite a bit of scuttle. If you've been reading our message boards or, or other boards or seeing rumors online about this possibly happening. But when you saw it come across your timeline, you probably, Initial reaction is dang, that stinks because you do look at the way he 100%. At Oregon, he was, I think, the seventh rated recruiter national this last class. He was in on a lot of the top prospects, Oregon signs for 2021, sorry, for 2020 and also back in 2019. Um, it had done a tremendous job at the same time. I think we're on the same page here of just like it, 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 it feels a little bit like it's just an isolated incident of somebody wanting to go, uh, try to seek some, you know, Matt brought up a good point with the, the potential of some family stuff that was brought up there. You don't know exactly what that means, and but you want to make sure that he's taken care of and, and that he feels like he's making the right decisions for himself as a person. So uh, I think you have to support that and just understand that this is, like we've said, uh, an unfortunate byproduct, using MVH Genetics' words here, of being a big boy program and being involved with some of these top assistants that are going to want... Potentially to, to look to, for upward trajectory. And I think that's what you're getting at USC because they did give him a title increase as well as the defensive, I think, passing coordinator coach. So, and, and, and the reality is double.
1: like maybe Oregon wanted to keep Dante Williams 100%. Yeah. And I'm sure Mario Cristobal did everything in his power to keep him. But if, if another employer came to you, came, came to someone, and, and to Dante Williams, and said, hey, we want to make you our passing game coordinator. We want to pay you, you know, we want to double your salary. We also want to give you a stipend for living expenses and whatever. And awesome. I, I like it at Eugene. I like it here in Oregon. Let me see if, if I can get something close to that here so I can stay. Uh, and But I am interested. And he goes back to Oregon and says, look, they're giving me a passing game coordinator title. They're giving me a huge bump in pay. Uh, my stature is going to be better. I'm going to have a bigger impact on leading the overall recruitment of the program. And Orton goes back and says, look, we can't give you a passing game coordinator because that's already been given out. We can't give you um, more control over recruiting because that's already been given out. And we, we can maybe give you a little bit more money, but we can't go to the, to that level because it's just not sustainable for us and for our margins. And I'm not trying to say this is exactly what happened, but it's right. probably somewhere in between. And at some point, you have to look at it and say, "Look, we can't match this. And if you if you want to continue to progress your career and you want a bigger t- job title and more responsibilities, you are either going to have to wait at Oregon until someone like Andy Avalos." goes and becomes a head coach somewhere or if if Keith Hayward gets hired on and, and, and as a defense coordinator either at Oregon or by somewhere else uh and wait your turn to to get your that spot but if you want it now you're going to have to go somewhere else and we understand that and we respect that that's probably what happened here
0: all right, let's keep the show moving here. This is going to be a lot of Dante Williams-related questions, as we said, and, and I want to start by saying I, a lot of these questions had some overlap. So if you're listening and you hear your question, and I've cut part of it, that's because I'm using another question that asked kind of the same thing, so it just doesn't have too much redundancy. So the second question from at rye underscore samu: How does the departure of Dante Williams impact the 2021 recruiting class? And we should note that Oregon already does have a little more than a handful of commitments. I've got six in the 2021 recruiting class, five are from four-star prospects off to a really good start. Uh, I was just pulling up each of the individual commitment pages and looking at 24 seven. This is cool thing. We're next to the, uh, the recruit. It has a recruited by uh, portion there. It just has the assistant coaches that were involved in the recruitment. It has either a P for primary or an S for secondary. And I was just running through it here. And the only, according to 24 seven, and of course, this doesn't mean that these recruits don't have any relationship with Dante Williams, but this is just how we've reported. Only Anthony Beavers Jr. had uh, Dante Williams as a primary or a secondary recruiter among the six players who are committed right now. So in terms of players that are currently committed, only six of them are really attributed to Williams. But in general, Matt, this has to be something that will impact Oregon, probably somewhat negatively, at least maybe in the interim until they figure out a replacement, but how do you think this impacts the class? Obviously Williams known for being a tremendous recruiting asset.
1: Seven McGee is currently committed a four star guy. Um, Dante Williams played a factor in, in his commitment. I, I'm sure it's going to, I mean, he even went on Twitter and said, Oh, not Dante. Um, it, it's going to impact Oregon. Now the way Oregon has operated for ever under Mario Cristobal from the very beginning is that Cristobal has not had one guy be the sole recruiter for a a certain player, a certain position, a certain area. It's a a collaborative effort by Oregon. And, look, the reality is as long as Mario Cristobal is the head coach at Oregon, he will find guys that can keep Oregon chugging along. Is this going to be a setback? Sure, it, it could hurt Oregon. It's going to hurt Oregon it's going to help USC directly, one hundred percent. It gives the Trojan staff a grinder on the recruiting trail who loves recruiting. They've not had that in a long time. They are going to get five and four star players at USC that they've been missing on the last couple of seasons. But all of us it's not like all of a sudden Oregon is going to lack the, the the skill talent. Winning still matters. And the reality is Oregon is a stable program now. USC is not. And Maybe USC gets going, and all of a sudden they 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 start recruiting you know at a high level again. But they're going to have to compete with a program like Oregon, who's established roots now in Southern California. ASU is doing that as well. And on top of that, all the players on the West Coast are much more open to the idea now that you can go elsewhere and play football at, at, at an ACC school, at an SEC school, at a Big Ten right. school. And USC is going to have to counter with. They're going to have to fight that, too. So, yes, USC got better uh, Monday night when they hired Dante Williams. But it's going to impact Oregon. But the the Ducks have built a system in place where no one guy is the sole reason for guys landing recruits.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I I think we're going to see in 2021 you know, if USC can kind of ascend on the recruiting trail. And I think it's going to be hard for Dante Williams to go into living rooms, even with all the connections he has. And, and really sell kids on the longevity of the way the staff at USC is, is built because Clay Helton is basically, everyone in LA wants him fired for a couple of years now. And it's right. not easy to really go out there and make any claims about what the future is going to hold with, with that kind of hanging over the program. And who knows, maybe USC has a great season and, and Helton gets an extension. He's coaching for a long term, but I think it's just as likely, if not more likely, that they're looking for a new head coach by the end of the 2020 football season, and what does that mean for Dante Williams and these recruiting efforts. So um certainly interesting and certainly going to make USC more relevant as a, as a factor in the L.A. area. You look at the recruiting rankings this last year. They were 10th in the Pac-12, which is still something that is just mind-boggling considering where they usually are. But uh, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I'm, I'm with Matt in terms of, like, there, there's one program that's very healthy right now, and it's not USC between the two. Um, and, and i think that's favor oregon obviously
1: i mean he's gonna have he ha- he's going to get guys to be interested in USc but the reality is is if USc doesn't win and they have another year in which they're eight and four or eight and five and nine and three even like they're still running into the issues that they have right now is is the head coach going to be there And certainly, yes, Clay Helton could get fired and whoever they hire comes on will be extremely wise to say, Hey, Dante, we, you are not the problem. We want to keep you at, at USC. That will, that will probably happen. But then you also go through the whole regurgitation of new head coach, new system programs. Yeah. It's on the rise and they're excited. Yada, yada, yada. But let's see what happens and, and see if this guy is successful. And I really think that the mystique of USC has, been knocked down a few pegs the last four or five seasons, and they are going to have to win big to get that back. Now, they certainly have the talent to do that, but again, it's a different landscape now. Players are more open to leaving the state of California. They're not as drawn to the history that USC has, and USC is going to have to grind and and work every single day like Oregon has uh, under Mario Cristobal, and it goes back to Cristobal is still at Oregon, and as long as he's still at Oregon, they're going to be okay.
0: Third question from at Bye Bye Rivers. First part, who are potential hires? And second part, any chance players slash signees transfer? And I think that second part is a good place to maybe start here because like we've established, Williams was really integral in recruiting not just Southern California, but throughout the country. Obviously, all the defensive back recruits he played some part in. Keith Hayward probably was primary for some, he was primary for others. But what do you think the backlash for this could be, Matt, in terms of do you see players maybe who either signed in 2020 or who are already on the roster kind of peeking around? Do you see them maybe looking at transferring and following him to USC? Um,
1: I, I certainly think a guy like Dante Manning because right. – <clears throat> excuse me – because uh, he did play a huge factor in getting Dante Manning. Maybe he is flustered a little bit right now. I'm sure he is. But – Look, Cristobal, he's not cut off by off guard by this, and it goes back to the idea that Oregon doesn't just rely on one guy to recruit everybody. And I'm sure it's it, there's going to be some, you know, fires being put out right now. of, Hey, you know, we're still here. The program is still here. The guy that helped get us to this is gone, but you're you still committed to a team that's the Pac-12 champions, that's the Rose Bowl champions, that's a top. Five potential team next season and there's still a lot of excitement there's still a lot of reasons why you should be coming to oregon so i don't envision anyone leaving maybe maybe one guy opens things up I've, i i doubt that and it's total speculation right um it, it would surprise me more if someone in 2020 decided to get out whose letter of intent than someone in 2021 saying hey i'm now more looking at usc than i'm looking at oregon Um, that's probably where we're gonna have it as for a replacement. Um, there are a couple names out there. I'll throw name one. I'll throw two names out there. Uh, first and foremost, Demetrius Martin. Uh, he is working at Arizona currently. He is considered one of the top recruiters of the West Coast. Has been for a long time. Has a ton of LA experience. He spent six seasons at UCLA from 2011. He was three years at UW from 2008 to 2010. He also was a graduate assistant at USC from 2006 to 2007. He was a guy that was a, an assistant head coach for the Bruins, um, and, and has a tremendous track record of, re- of recruiting really, really good players and also developing them. I would certainly think that would probably be the number one choice. For Oregon, if they could find somebody out there, uh, Demetrius Martin would be one that I I would look at um, from from Arizona. He just he got there this uh, spring of 2008, so he's been there a year or or so. Uh, another guy I would maybe look at is going out and and finding a guy like Trey Watson who just left Oregon, yep, and is now at UNLV under Marcus Arroyo. Uh, Trey Watson was um, a a graduate assistant coach for the Ducks. He's currently coaching the cornerbacks, a guy that's had a lot of behind-the-scenes impact in recruiting for Oregon. He hails from Seattle and has a really strong relationship up in the Seattle area, and in particular for 2021, there's a ton of guys that come from The Washington area that are, that are really, really good this season. So that would be another name that would make some sense. Um, and then I I guess if I just want to throw just one other name that's total speculation out there is I would, I would go and maybe talk to Andy Avalos. He's going to have a huge say in this decision already and just kind of get his feelings on a guy like, Jalil Brown or Gabe Franklin at Boise State. What what are what are his thoughts on either of those guys? And does he look at them and and think that they could be a huge addition to to, to the Oregon program? Because Avalos was the defensive coordinator for Boise State. He was there, you know, with these guys. So maybe maybe he goes and 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 it gets a guy like a Gabe Franklin, um, who's been at Boise State. Uh, for a couple of seasons worked under Avalos for I think two or three years so that would be an early look um of where I would I would maybe consider options but knowing Cristobal there's no reason to think that whoever he hires isn't going to be a big name coach or it's going to be a good hire because look at everyone that Christopher has hired and who he has replaced uh it, it it it's a pretty impressive track record i mean jim levitt was replaced by andy avalos michael johnson the receivers coach was replaced by jovan Knight. we've seen alex Maribel join the staff we've seen bobby williams join the staff ken wilson first he replaced raymond woody with uh court Dennison, but then be, after one season, became a co-defensive coordinator at Louisville and went out and replaced Dennison with Ken Wilson, who has become one of the Pac-12's best recruiters. Uh, he has gone out and gotten Joe Moorhead to replace Marcus Arroyo. And you're now starting to see a track record, too, where guys that he hires at Oregon, they are moving on to better jobs. You know, Dennison is one. We've seen Arroyo go to become a head coach. We've now seen um, Dante Williams go from being a position coach to a coordinator. So you're, you're seeing a track record of guys projecting up, leveling up in their coaching careers, and other coaches are going to be attracted by that. Oh, if I go to Oregon in, in one year, in two years, in three years, in four, whatever, I could become a, a, a have a, have a higher stature of a position.
0: One quick thought, just on Trey Watson, to provide some context for those listening. He was, and if you were impressed with the, the strides that like Verone McKinley and Javon Holland made, um, I don't want to say he was totally responsible, but he was leading that nickel corner group during practices that we watched um, in the spring and in the fall of the last couple of years, and was kind of working on them, uh, kind of leading that group on his own, you know, a group of four or five guys. And you did, I think, see some pretty pretty strong improvements, obviously from both of uh, Holland and McKinley when they were playing this year. Even a guy like Hockey Woods was with that group. Um, so from at least from a player development perspective, uh, he, he showed some things, I thought, in a, in a brief time here at Oregon. So that's just a little addition to what Matt said about what Watson was able to accomplish at Oregon. Uh, fourth question. This is the last one on Dante Williams before we kind of move on to some other topics after the break. But from at Skodux58, with Dante Williams' departure, do you see – a DB coach hire or a potential other position need filled. And this is something that's worth mentioning here. Just because they lose Dante Williams and he goes elsewhere, doesn't mean they have to turn around and right. uh, assign the next coach to play, to be a corner coach. They can go out there. I mean, Oregon for a long time under, uh, you know, pr- under, under, under staffs, they had, uh, you think about John Neal was coaching, I think both corners and safeties for a couple of decades at Oregon. It's not on. Heard of that? They have a different split, and you could see them, you know, potentially take this opening. You're allowed ten full-time assistants. You could see them potentially take this opening um, and use it as a full-time special teams coach, or move it to some other position. Um, It it doesn't have to be a corners coach. And I I picked this question just to sort of make that point. You know, and I'm not saying that they're going to go out and and you know use this differently. Maybe they they probably will just go find another corner coach they like. But that's something that's worth kind of being aware of as we go through this process, that it doesn't have to be a cornerback's coach. It could be a full-time special teams coordinator. Uh, they could go out there and decide that they want to get – I know that they have Alex Mirabal coaching one offensive line group. They could decide they want to give another coach to work on the offensive line. I think that's kind of ridiculous to have that many guys you know, with that group. But I'm just saying that there, there are some possibilities here to – um, to take this position or this other assistant coaching position and, and use it differently than just what Williams was doing previously at Oregon.
1: I agree. And that's going to be where Oregon reevaluates their staff and says, okay, what is the best option? Maybe we have uh, some assistant coaches that go coach cornerbacks and if, let's just, let's just grade them out for a second. Okay. And let's just say coach A, coach B and coach C are Crystal Ball's guys that he feels like are best suited for the cornerback position, and they all are in, graded as C level coaches, and he's just not really on board with any of them. No one's really sticking out to him, and he also looks at it and says, "Okay, well, we also have Keith Hayward. He coaches safeties. He also right. coaches. He also can coach cornerbacks, and I feel like he's a an A plus safeties coach and a B plus." Cornerbacks coach. Let's go out and find a grad transfer, you know, grad transfer, grad, graduate, uh, coach, assistant coach to help with the DBs. Maybe give a little bit of an extra guy out there. So Hayward's not coaching two positions entirely by himself and give him a little bit of an assistance there. And then let's maybe go and find this other assistant coach who's coach D that we feel like is an A plus higher along the defensive line, for example. Right. And now all of a sudden, yeah, you, you maybe sacrifice a little bit in terms of you don't have an A plus, you know, cornerbacks coach anymore. Um, but you have two guys coaching there. You feel really confident in Hayward because he's been in the system. He's done it before. He's in this, you know, he, he's a good coach, a hundred percent really good coach. Now all of a sudden you can go out and add another really elite level coach to help the defensive line or to help, uh, the tight end position or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and, and or maybe. Maybe you have a, a, an A-plus caliber coach at safety that's interested and you feel like Hayward's an A-plus caliber coach at safety or cornerback. So, yeah, I, I, there's going to be that discussion of do we need to go out and find another cornerback's coach or do we want to go out and find a coach to help out at another position because Keith Hayward has the ability to coach multiple positions uh, in, in the secondary. All right, that's going to do it for the first half. Of the podcast, let's take a quick break for some advertising.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H track, all wheel drive, and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend today.
1: All right, welcome back to the Austin Audibles podcast, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with you here. Uh, We are taking your questions about Oregon sports in general, a lot of football ones, obviously because of the news that Dante Williams has left the program to go to USC. Now we also can go in now and discuss a couple other questions that are based kind of around basketball and and then whatnot.
0: Yeah, the first couple here are going to be football questions, just not Dante Williams' specific football questions. First one from at Kmer101. You guys have seen Tyler Shuck more than anyone else at practices and whatnot. Do you think he has what it takes to lead the program in the right direction? And who – and who would you compare his skill set to? I've watched his huddle highlights and wasn't sure what to think. Um, yeah, we have seen Chuck a decent amount in practice, and obviously, I think fans have seen like 14 pass attempts this past season. He looked good throwing the ball this season, and we should say he looked good in the spring as well. Both at an open scrimmage up at Hillsboro High School, or up in Hillsboro, not the high school, but at, at the uh, the field up there. But then also in the spring game, so you, there has been opportunity for fans to see him, but not quite as much. And I've been very high on him and vocal in being kind of on the team shuck train or whatever you want to say it is, because I do see a lot of intangibles. I think he's a very accurate passer. I think he's a very good athlete. Um, I think his deep ball maybe is, is something that needs a little bit of work, but I've seen times where it looks really, really smooth. Um, You know, he's not Justin Herbert in terms of that arm talent, I don't think. But he's not, like, super far off either. I mean, he's not going to rifle the ball and potentially break some fingers like is something that we've seen from Herbert. But he's also not somebody that uh, that has kind of like a noodle arm. He's got a strong, strong arm. So, um, personally, yeah, I, I I see Shuck being someone totally capable of, of leading this program in the right direction. You know, I don't think there's m- much question in my mind about that. I think he has off-the-field intangibles, too, as a leader. Uh, you know, you speak with him, he's very... Um, easy to get along with. He's very attentive in how he answers questions, at least in media uh, opportunities. You know, speaking with him when it's not media related, he's a really nice young man, and, and I think he's somebody who carries himself the right way. So there's a lot to like about Tyler Shuck, um, and, and I do think that of, of the quarterbacks that are currently on the roster, to me, he's pretty clearly the top quarterback. And we'll have a better idea, obviously, of that in the next couple weeks here when spring practice starts sometime in early March um, because there will be Jay Butterfield. There will be Cale Mellon here. There will be a couple walk-on quarterbacks here to compete with him. Um, But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like this spring. In terms of – I'm trying to think of a quarterback to compare his skill set to maybe like a Jared Goff type of thing. Um, uh, You know, he's got – I mean, he does have good size and and a good frame, and he's a pretty good athlete. I don't know. Matt, Matt, do you have – Somebody that he, he, I guess, reminds you of, and then other thoughts you have on Tyler Shutt possibly taking over this program at quarterback. Hmm. I had a hard time with the comparison. I did.
1: Yeah, I, I do have a, a really hard time in terms of a comparison, just because he's mobile, maybe like a Kellen Clemens, maybe. Okay. Like, Clemens was athletic enough to be – a guy that could run the football and, and and run the option and whatnot and had a strong arm. Um, but Shuck, I think, is much taller than, than Kellen Clemens ever was. He's got a good arm like Kellen Clemens. Uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with that one. That's a really good question. I uh, thought about it a little bit before the show and really couldn't come up with one. Was hoping you had
0: one, to be honest. <laughs> well, what do you think about Jared Goff? I don't know. I, I mean, that's just because they're both blonde. I don't. Know. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's why I drew that comparison or not. Yeah, I, I mean,
1: like, like I, I, I kind of see that. You know, they're both kind of. They're not like super skinny, but they're not either. Either of those guys are also, you know, huge, bulky wise. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think Tyler Shuck is going to be the real deal. I think. He has a, a sense of charisma about him that's pretty impressive. He's got the team already basically behind his back and supporting him before even Herbert had graduated and played his last game at Oregon. So um, I, I look at him and think he's going to put up good numbers. He's going to uh, get, I think, some success at Oregon early, and then it's going to be how quickly and, and how fast can his game continue to expand and, and, and improve.
0: Yeah, my thing more on, just on Chuck, is I think the long-term potential is there. I will be curious to see what he looks like as a week one starter this year when they play a team like North Dakota State or in week two when they play Ohio State. You know, how ready is he for that kind of moment? Because I think, we, I think everybody who's who's been around him and, and watched him realizes that there is a ton of potential here, and I don't know if it's you know, probably too much to say he's like gonna be a first or second round pick down the line, but he's got the potential to develop into an NFL type of quarterback. I don't think there's any question on you know about that. It's just is that something that's realized in year one? Is that something that's realized in the first couple of games of twenty twenty? I think those are the things you have to recognize. But um I, I'm really you know, I think the thing that's gonna be really fun about spring is we're actually going to have a real quarterback competition for the first time in, in a really long time. Since so I think since I've been back um, full time with, with 24 seven, you know, Herbert had already kind of taken over, um, the quarterbacking job when my first season, which was, was in 2018. Um, so it, it is going to be fun to, to watch Tyler Shuck, um, compete with a Jay Butterfield and a Kale Millen and just kind of see how all that shakes out. But, um, I'm a big Shuck fan. I think Matt's a big Shuck fan. Um, and we'll probably, maybe we'll have a better quarterback comparison for you, um, in a couple of weeks here when we get to see a little bit more spring practice. Sixth question from at Cole Bigby. How will D.J. Johnson do at tight end, and is this the best Oregon secondary ever? Um, I think we've talked about the second part there in terms of the best secondary ever. Um, I don't know how much we want to go into that, but from a talent perspective, it certainly feels like it's got the potential to be that. I know I posted it on the site. Last week, that in terms of a recruiting perspective, this is the best secondary. Uh, I think six of the ten highest-rated cornerback recruits are on this year's roster, and five of the ten highest-rated safety recruits are on this year's roster. For, from a talent perspective, it certainly is it's never actually, better. Yeah, it's getting better and better. And, it's, on paper, and it, yeah, on paper it looks that way. And, and from an experience perspective, it's also really good. I mean, a lot of c- juniors and seniors that are going to be playing a lot of snaps. So um, I think it has the potential to be there. Let's talk. Really quickly about D.J. Johnson at tight end, and I know we addressed this, I think, last week right after Cristobal made the announcement that he had moved from defensive end over to tight end for the spring. Um, Not somebody, based upon the stats I read last week, that was super productive there, but it's also not unprecedented that Oregon moves a player from defense over to tight end, and he at least is an impact player as a blocker. We saw that with Hunter Campmoyer. Um, I know he's been criticized at times for his inability to catch the football, but he's been a very, very good blocker for Oregon. So to me, if the, if the ceiling, the ceiling for Johnson, I don't know what it is, but I feel like the floor, if he's just able to be a physical big body in space, he can at least be someone who can help you blocking, I would think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Camp Moore is good at blocking. That's probably where DJ Johnson's going to land in right. terms of getting some, the Ducks, some physicality, some size. He certainly is an athlete for sure. Um, keep in mind, though, like he's moving positions because he wasn't getting on the football field at his other position. Exactly. It's not like they looked at him and said, hey, you're making all these interceptions and, and you move really well. And we actually think your better position is probably at tight end. Um it could end up being that way. We when I mean, we do see some stuff like that happen. I mean, Deion Jordan went from being a tight end to a defensive end and ended up being like what, the number two draft pick in the NFL? Um number two or number three. So it does happen. You do see guys move oh. positions and excel, but more often than not, they're moving positions because of a reason. They're not getting on the football field at their current position. Um you know, Kenyon Barner is another guy, he came in as a cornerback, but they quickly moved him over to running back because they were extremely loaded at the cornerback spot and he played running back, uh, and obviously did incredibly well. Jalen Reds, another guy at Oregon, was a cornerback recruit, but moved to the slot position at the receiver spot. Obviously we know why, because of Thomas Graham and Dion Blay Now, those are all, those two examples are completely different because they didn't really even try Jalen Red at cornerback. They didn't try Lamichael. Uh, excuse me, Kenyon Barner for a long, extensive period of time at running back. His redshirt freshman season, they moved him over there early on in fall camp. So um, DJ Johnson's played defensive end at Miami, played it as a redshirt at Oregon, and then now this season he played defensive end this year. So I mean, I, I just temper expectations. If he shows up and he dominates hell of a move but i wouldn't expect it
0: yeah i think that's important that what you just said there about tempering expectations because we i think we've all been really excited about the physical tools with with johnson i know last spring we talked about him a lot and the reality is is he just hasn't been able to put it together yet and you're right it could go maybe he steps on the field and day one he's a force at tight end but i think it's also just as likely that he's kind of a supplemental piece that maybe fills in as a as a blocker here or there, maybe he catches a pass here or there, or maybe he's not even really that involved at all. But I think a, a move that's something that we'll again have a better idea of in a couple weeks when we start, we see the start of, of spring practice, which I said it a couple of times. I'm already getting pretty excited about the fact that we've got spring practice starting in, in probably about a month from now, maybe three weeks, depending upon the exact day. I don't know if we've seen it yet. So, uh, seventh question from at only here for sports. Anthony Mathis. Did a good job during the non-conference, but is now struggling in Pac-12 play. Do you think it's because he's not used to the talent level in the Pac-12? And just for some context, I pulled this up before um, we started the show here. In conference play, he's scoring 4.6 points per game on 27.3% three-point shooting. In non-conference play, he averaged 10.8 points per game on 50% three-point shooting. That is a massive discrepancy, Matt. What have you seen there? Um, Do you think it is something to do with... He's not used to the talent level, or, or do you see something else?
1: I think, first and foremost, he, it's a sign that we're seeing the opponent put a ton of attention on him. I mean, when it first came out, when the season started, there was the idea, oh, yeah, this is a shooter, but he did it at UNLV. Let's kind of just focus on the guys that we know and then Pritch- and Pritchard did really well and drew a lot of the attention. And then all of a sudden Mathis just went off and it was like, oh, dear Lord, like we, we can't even let him touch the ball, like let alone get it. Because if he touches it, he's going to fire and he's going to make it. Um, I, I, so I think, one, you have to acknowledge the fact that opponents have focused more on him and have, prevent- have made it a, a priority of, hey, let's not let him get the ball. Just straight up, not even let him get the ball. I think he's also in a rut. I mean, his confidence. I mean, he himself has admitted, like, you know, he's lost a little bit of confidence. And he he noted that when you are so hot, the hoop feels like it's as wide as an ocean. Anything you put up there, it goes in. And then when you get in a cold streak, it, it can be extremely difficult to get over that. And so I think that's the combination there. Um, I think you need to get more out of him. In other areas outside of scoring, if he's not, if he, cause during the month of January, he wasn't really active at all. If he wasn't scoring, he wasn't playing much because he wasn't rebounding, wasn't, he wasn't giving any assists. He wasn't playing elite defense. And so he's starting to come around in that realizing, Hey, just because my shot's falling, I can't let these other things slip. But that being said, if Oregon's not going to have a post presence. Down low scoring the basketball, they need Mathis to get going because the only way you can get the defense to to sag in, you know, to spread out and open up the the lane for for drives if you don't have a guy down low scoring the basketball and demanding double teams is by stretching the defense horizontally and vertically at the same time because you have so many shooters out there that you can't leave them open. It basically turns into one on one situations.
0: Yeah, I think it's been interesting to kind of see the way he's, his season has progressed. I think that first month there, he was shooting, what, like 60% or something in yeah. three. And there was a lot of sense that, man, he's going to be a huge part of this team. But it is interesting the way that he's played in conference player or the fact that he hasn't played a whole lot and how that's been a factor. I think if you can, I think you're right. If you can get some, some contributions from him, maybe it isn't even making that many three point shots, but if you can get contributions from him, that could be big because Oregon at this point, Needs all the help they can get, um, I think out of that, out of that position. And, and if the contributions have just been kind of up and down, you know, outside of Peyton Pritchard and, and recently Christopher, Chris it seems like Will Richardson, Addison Patterson and Mathis are one game that are, they're amazing. And then a couple games later, they hardly are contributing. So, um, I think a good question to ask because the numbers there, I was actually pretty surprised when I was looking through, uh, how different he was as a non-conference contributor as opposed to one in conference play. All right. Eighth and final question from at Smith Garrett 91. I was at the women's basketball game on Sunday and saw an incredible amount of fans wearing IUNESCO jerseys, myself included. What other athlete is well due for a jersey to be available with their number, or who do you wish had one back in the day for fans to get? Um, I think this is a fun question here, Matt. Uh, a couple of players that I was just running off of here, and I kind of was choosing players that weren't on like a football team or the basketball, the men's basketball team, because I think you can get. Some of those players' numbers, and I don't, I don't know the entirety of what's available, like the Duck Store. But um, you know, I think going forward, if Satu Sabli comes back for her senior season, she should be deserving of one. I mean, I think it gets, I was thinking about this last night. I think it gets lost a little bit when you play with a player like Sabrina Eskew That if she wasn't with the program, I think Ruthie Hebert and Satu Sabli right now would be having careers that you would be discussing them as maybe the best players in Oregon women's basketball history. That's how good they've been, but it kind of gets overshadowed because you have a generational type talent like Inescu. So I think a Satu Sabally for next season, if she does come back, would be something to get behind to kind of keep that momentum of having that star player. Because I think next year, if she does come back, she's going to be one of the top players in, in the sport um, and, and, a, and a legitimate national Wooden award kind of player of the year candidate. Um, a couple in softball, like a Haley Cruz or a Jordan Dale are, are two players that are, are well-known. I don't know if there's enough following right now with softball to really warrant a jersey, but if, I guess if, if you're looking for one, those are probably the two players that would stand out, um, in that regard. Um, Matt, do you have anyone currently or anyone in the past who you wish you had a jersey of?
1: Well, real, real quick about, um, Sahu, I, this is my personal just opinion, just speculating. Every situation is a little bit different, but I just have a feeling that if, if Sabrina wasn't going to go pro as a junior, and she's a much high-profile athlete, has much more incentive money-wise to go pro um, because of what's out there available to her because of her her brand and her talents and whatnot. Right. And she comes back. I Again, every situation is different, but I would think Satu would also come back for her senior year. So um, very rarely do we see athletes go pro early. Happens. <clears throat> happens more than it did 10 years ago. But it's still extremely rare. Now, maybe the, the WNBA is CBA. They signed some new deals and have expanded the, the pay scale. And so maybe that will impact things a little bit. Maybe guys will go pro more because of the – or I should say ladies will go pro because the money is getting better. Right. So we'll have to see with, with that. But Satu, I think, would be one for the women next season to get one. You could maybe see the, the, the Aaron Bowley uniform. From a women's perspective, for the men, I think next year's team. If Duarte decides to come back for his senior season, he's probably the obvious choice. Right. If he, or if if he's not going to be the choice, probably Will Richardson. Um, maybe they just do a generic twenty-one for the year twenty-one for the men. Uh, but I would think Richardson or, or Duarte would would get one for the men, and then from a football standpoint. I kinda wanna see if an a uniform, just to Oh, see
0: that's a good one. Just like. I like that.
1: Like, would, would, it, would it sell out? Like, what would, how, I mean, all the husky dudes out there would, would certainly snatch that up quick. <laughs> uh, uh, but who else on the football team would, could, 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 maybe a, a Graham or a Lenore. I, I like to think seniors, um, or guys that you know are gonna, you know, be pros as a junior. Maybe a Javon Holland, um, a number five for Kayvon Thibodeau could work well because then maybe there's a number five out there offensively. I think Sean Dollars right. right. Um, could play out that way. Uh, would be cool to see a, a softball one, um, yeah. and a base in a baseball one. Don't know yet much about the baseball team of who would warrant a uniform next season. um, I would think maybe Jordan Dale, the softball pitcher, because she's only a junior this season. Right. Uh, Maybe a a Jazz Seavers for for next year. Um, If they were going to do one this year, Haley Cruz would certainly justify it.
0: I love the Penny Sewell pick and I'm mad at myself for not having one because that is, I think that's the, that's the right answer. Let's get it, let's get the Penny Sewell jerseys going. Um, they, they need to, this, if there's any school in the country that would appreciate an offensive lineman, it should be Oregon given the fact that their head coach is basically an offensive, he's an offensive lineman lifer. So, um, and and it would be fun. It would just be fun to have a number 66 on your back because that's so different from (laughs) what you normally would be wearing.
1: Yeah, how? I mean, have we even seen that before, like an offensive lineman getting a a uniform created? Um, But look, it's becoming – I think it's – the promotion standpoint from an individual level, it's going to be Panay's year next year. So it all lines up. I mean, you could even tie in the Heisman hype discussion for that down the road. Um, There's a ton of reasons to do it.
0: I, I'm embarrassed. I said 66. That was Brady Ayala. It's actually 58 for Penesu. I just wanted to communicate. You're
1: the that. you're the stat numbers guy too. I it?
0: know. It's it's so embarrassing. I think it's really embarrassing because if yeah, if anybody in the media knows me, I'm the one who memorizes everyone's numbers. That clearly is an example of the season's been over for too long because somehow I somehow I got the numbers wrong right there. But yeah. So anyone listening, going like you 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 do this professionally, and you don't even know the number of the player. I do know the number. It was a brain fart. I recognized right after I said it. It's 58. So. uh Don't wear a 66 jersey because there's no 66 on the roster next year. That we know of. That we know of.
1: I mean, don't, don't slight the guy that gets number 66, whoever it may be.
0: Yeah, well, they'll, they'll, they'll know that I want to have his jersey, whoever it is, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's,
1: uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Again, if you don't subscribe, do so now. Your first, your month to month price is $9.95. Inside coverage. You help support this podcast. You help support going to games and bringing you inside scoop, recruiting news. You get to read across the entire 24/7 Sports Network. Uh, you get less ads on the site as well, which is always a positive in that regard. You also get for free, which has a $99.99 value for over the year, a membership to the CBS All Access streaming platform. That is CBS's new uh, streaming service. You get 10,000 live shows, on-demand movies, on-demand shows, live sports, all of that, all of that, commercial-free by signing up with DuckTerritory.com. So make sure to, to kick in on that. If you haven't activated your CBS All Access, we also have a post on the message board to help you do that. Uh, I, Uh You're just giving away money uh, by not doing that. So I would highly encourage you if you are a member to do it. So... Thank you for listening. Again, like us on iTunes. It helps us get better reach. It helps us get placed higher. Uh, subscribe to the podcast as well, whatever iPod, or iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you use to listen to, to podcasts. Make sure to, to, to subscribe to us as well. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame, thank you for listening to the Austin Audibles podcast. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Adios, amigos. On May 23rd,
1: back to normal
0: what's normal the paramount plus original series evil
1: returns we've already hunted werewolves demons and now what a baby
0: antichrist <laughs> <laughs> Okey-dokey. prepare yourself you will not beat us for the end i have visions of stop, they can Shut
1: up.
0: you're not gonna survive this evil the final season streaming may 23rd only on paramount plus